Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You two look up your Uber stars I'm right now. That. Let's see who's oh, got the oh, best Oh, no, movies. I have to like re-download the app. I'll check though. No excuses, Pam. Come on. Hold on. I'm going to I'm gonna do it right now. I've got a 4.84. I'm pretty proud of that. What are you, Laura? I'm 4.89, bitch. Welcome to Millennial, the home of pretend adulting and real talk. I'm Andrew. I'm Laura. And I'm Pamela. <laughs> oh, sorry, I'm still thinking about the indictment news. I just said. <laughs> oh, I've been high off that news since Friday. Yeah, and literally at one point, I got an interesting text from Laura. Yeah. <laughs> indictment it, it's, evening. It's been in waves of literal and metaphorical high. Right now, it's metaphorical. It's not literal. Uh-huh. And, I'm prepared um, for the program. I, I The program. Thank you for saying it how I like saying it. I think she told me she was soaring at one point or something. I wow. was blasting off, I think, is the <laughs> descriptor off. I used. Yeah. <laughs> she went to space. She it was did. so happy. Indictment night. Mm-hmm. So we did hop on to record a breaking news installment. It's available for patrons. We released it Friday. Um, It was after the indictment was unsealed. So we were reading through it all and digesting what it meant. And I'll give you a TLDR of that, at least from my end. I really think this is it, y'all. I think we got him. I I think it's over for him. I like. I really think he's gonna end up in prison for for a little while. I don't know how long, but this stuff is bad, really bad. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm on cloud nine. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about 37 federal counts. 31 of them are under the Espionage Act. It's. I don't see this going well for him. And as we talked about in the breaking news, this is a really easy read. The indictment document is only 49 pages long. And a lot of that is photos and different evidence. So it's a pretty quick read. In my mind, I think everybody should read it for themselves and come to your own conclusions. Do you read it like every night before bed now as like a nice like (laughs) a bedtime story? (laughs) Mark is being forced to read it. I like sped read it before we did the breaking news because I wanted to have gone through it before then. I haven't done a reread at this point, but I am planning to. I feel like that's going to feel really like nice and juicy and you'll really relish that time. I know, man. MuggleCast has been preparing me for this level of literary analysis for 20 years. (laughs) Um, So, I mean, I'm I'm thrilled. 
We did announce last week we now have this free trial option on our Patreon. If you're not currently a patron or you're a $2 or $5 patron, you can get the free trial of the $10 level, and then you can access this breaking news installment. And we recorded it in high quality, too, using Riverside, so it should be a good listen for everybody. And this can be your opportunity to listen to that fun and insightful recording just after the indictment was unsealed. So let's get into our topics for today. I wanted to talk about this story. A publisher has dropped an author after TikTok backlash and a Goodreads review bombing. So what happened was this author, Sarah Stuzik, she was going to publish her debut novel later this year, Three Rivers. It's a young adult fiction novel. She was dropped by the publisher, the publisher being Spark Press, after calling someone a bitch for posting a four-star review of the book. She wrote in her review, quote, this was a really great first novel. Stella, that's one of the characters, Stella's experiences were obviously based off the true stories of the author, and I loved how intricate the details about the show Stella was on were. The ending was kind of predictable, but other than that, It was incredible. So then Sarah, the author, responded on TikTok. I had a perfect five-star average till this bitch came up. She said the ending was kind of predictable. Yeah, well, it's my life, not a fucking murder mystery. But other than that, it was incredible. So you just gave me four stars? The video was taken down. It was actually removed for violating TikTok's community guidelines. The author, Sarah, was later asked to apologize. She didn't. She responded, I got a community guidelines violation because you guys can't take a joke. I'm literally a comedian. You obviously haven't read my book. But anyways, welcome to the show. So then the book ended up being review bombed on Goodreads. Goodreads ended up pausing reviews. She did, after all this, finally apologize after trying to avoid apologizing. But she got dropped by her publisher, Spark Press. She also insisted to Gizmodo, who interviewed her, that she really was joking and said being upset about a four-star review is ridiculous. And then the review writer said it was clearly not a joke and it was unnecessary for Sarah to make that video. So I wanted to talk about the importance of reviews and how creators take reviews very seriously. If this was a joke or not, there's a bunch of different angles we can pursue here. Pam, I think you in particular were aware of this story prior to my suggesting we talk about it on the show. Yeah. So I what I stumbled across on TikTok because I am on Book Talk by proxy was the original reviewer who talked about how this author singled her out and that the fans of this author subsequently also went and started attacking her. So I feel like the um, attack was kind of twofold here, right? And that's usually what ends up happening, isn't it? Like if somebody that has followers already kind of sends their followers off to pick someone else apart, the subsequent um, result is basically the same, no matter what industry you're talking about this occurring in. Yeah, I thought that this was really interesting. I think I also mentioned as well to both of you, the line that kind of used to traditionally exist between 
authors and reviewers has really been blurred as a result of publishing expecting authors to be active on social media. This is all going to start happening more and more as a result of that. Like the more you see authors being required or asked to attempt to make their books go viral on these platforms, the more you're going to start to see them potentially lash out at people that are talking shit. And I, I like in on one hand, I kind of understand it because a book is like your baby. This is something that clearly the author worked really hard on. They probably spent multiple years crafting this thing. Most most people do because you have your whole life to write your first book, right? But it's a tricky situation, I think, when the, the, just by pure nature of the way that TikTok works, you could potentially not be seeking out concrete criticism or negative feedback, but it could still be served to you just by the fact that you're existing on that platform alone. Like, I, I think that we could even say that with like our show as well. Like, I, I don't think we're like big enough <laughs> to to see like people talking about us on TikTok, but like the potential still exists there just because like everybody exists in one watering hole on TikTok. That is a really interesting point, especially when you think about how much this shift has affected creators like authors. You know, let's think back to the 90s when we were all kids. People like movie stars were very much always in the limelight, but it was very common to read a book or read a series of books and not know a damn thing about the author and not really feel connected to them. Whereas now you can go out and follow your favorite author on Instagram or Twitter and you can connect with them directly in a lot of cases. So it it could be that this is a learning curve for a lot of authors and maybe even more so for a new author. Because I mean, how are authors prepared for this kind of thing? You know what I mean? What do you think was actually going on here? Was this truly a joke? No, no, there's no way. No? Okay, so she got really worked up because her perfect five star average on Goodreads was suddenly ruined. But the, what gets me about that is like that's inevitable. Yeah, I, that's mm-hmm. inevitable. You cannot look at any like Amazon product, any book on Goodreads, anything, and find perfect five star reviews across the board. I was gonna say like. To relate this to something that maybe like anybody listening could potentially relate to, I I would argue also it would be the same for like Uber rider ratings. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. Right. Like everybody gets rated as an Uber rider, regardless of whether or not you're a a driver. And you might never know why your rating (laughs) dipped to 4.5 stars. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe you do if you're like not a tipper, right? Right. But like you could do everything right and potentially only get four stars, four and a half stars. You two look up your Uber stars I'm right now. Let, let's see who's oh, got the oh, best. Oh no, reviews. I have to like re-download the app. <laughs> no I'll excuses, check, Pam. Come on. Hold on. I'm gonna I'm gonna do it right now. I've got a four point eight four. I'm pretty proud of that. What are you, Laura? 
I'm 4.89, bitch. Fuck! Oh, man. I got to get Ubering again. I got to beat Laura. My my app is re-downloading because I don't use it as much as I used to. But as soon as it comes up, I will let you Thank guys know you. what my... Now... Yeah. Chloe's beating you too, Andrew. She's 4.88. Okay. All right. Well, fine. But I don't, I don't know. I mean, now in Lyft, 101 rides, rating 5.0. I'm perfect on Lyft. I'm unstoppable. Yeah. How many times have you actually used Lyft, though? 101 rides. It's actually my primary... Oh, 101 rides. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. It's the app I use because I get extra points through um, uh, my credit card for using Lyft. That makes sense. So take that. But yeah, and, and similarly with like the Facebook Marketplace, you can review the people who you sell products to and, and vice versa. And my... Uh, rating on Facebook Marketplace isn't perfect. It's like a 4.8 something. But then that leaves you wondering, to Pam's point, like, what did I do wrong? <laughs> and I do think about it. Like, right. what What did I do? Did I smell? Was I late? Did I rip you off? Be nice to me. So, yeah, it, it affects all of us. But it also brings up the question, like, who are reviews for? Are they th- for authors? Can authors get something out of oh, them? Okay, I have an update. I have a 4.94 rating on Uber. <gasps> Pam is beating us all. Wow. <laughs> uh, but Pam, like, who so knows nice. why I dipped 0.6 points or 0. 0.06 <laughs> points? I don't know. Nobody's perfect, Pam. It's okay. It's probably because I asked too many writers to turn the music up so I wouldn't have to talk to them. There is one time you slammed the car door a little too hard. And uh, George didn't like that. One time I left my Ray-Ban sunglasses in the back of an Uber and they didn't return them. I feel like I should have gotten over five points for that. (laughs) Free sunglasses. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I will say um, all of us are beating the show. Um, Our show is currently at a 4.7 star rating in the iTunes store. Oh, hey, that's good. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I think that's really good. Um, and I'm not really compelled to go combing through our reviews to be like, who did less than five stars? I do that for you. I, I feel like for your mental health, you shouldn't do it. It is a, it is unhealthy. It is unhealthy. Yeah. yeah. And I, I'll be the first to admit, like, to I would never, like, get out there publicly and call, um, you know, call out specific listeners for leaving low reviews. But, like, I'm too soft. Some on some days, I am legitimately too soft to read about why people don't like me or the content I'm putting out on any platform, and and I think that 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 is why if you are a creator in any way, in any sort of capacity that requires reviews to be like, you know, submitted, then you should just like not read those things. Normally for our shows, it's when we say something on air that pisses people off. Like they uh, disagree so much that they feel the need to take it out on us by leaving a bad review. Normally it's not like the personalities suck or, um, you know, it sounds bad or the content's boring. It's it's always just like, I hate that you said this about student loans or this about mm-hmm. J.K. Rowling or whatever else. So that's kind of good. I keep an eye on the reviews. I do find them interesting. Mm-hmm. And honestly, maybe if uh, we were getting a lot of negative reviews, I would feel differently. But they make me feel good. 
it's nice to hear yeah. that people like what we do. I will say too that like you're never going to please everybody. And no. reviews aside, we also know this from um, you know we we do our listener feedback form maybe once every other year, and it's kind of funny because, and I'm sure you two have noticed this too. It's like every year, whatever we switch up is the thing that the that people say they miss. But it's also the thing that they said two years ago they don't want to see as much of. So you can't win. Yeah. And people are always evolving with their wants and needs for any show or anything else that they consume and are reviewing, I think. You know, sometimes distance makes the heart grow fonder, Pam. (laughs) Maybe people needed us to put it. Who knows? Surprise bitch might come back. We retired that segment years ago (laughs) because we we heard pretty loud and clear that people like it was funny in the beginning, but the show had evolved beyond it. People liked other things better. So we responded. We did that. And I think that's where ratings and listener feedback can be really helpful. Like if I go into the iTunes store and I see a four star review of the show that's similar in tone to this review that we're talking about in this story, saying, hey, this is overall really good show. And then they offer one piece of feedback like, I don't really like this segment that much. Uh, It's not that funny. I would not be butthurt about that. And I don't understand why you would fly off the handle over something like that. I think part of the reason is perhaps, and this might be like a little above our knowledge, but from what I understand, it's um, publishers that look at Goodreads reviews. So I could see potentially this person going off the rails as a result of that. Like maybe they were hoping for a second book deal and they were thinking that dropping down from the five stars would potentially hurt their chances of that. So I don't know. I mean, like that that is really honestly though giving a major benefit of the doubt. Mm-hmm. But either way, that's not on the person that read your book. Right. 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 That that that's like an issue that you should like you should be fighting bigger battles if that's really what you're worried about. Yeah. And certainly doing what she did had the effect that she was ultimately worried about. <laughs> like you're worried about not closing a deal. You kind of shot yourself in the foot with the re- way you reacted. I understand maybe this is a new space for authors, especially newer authors to be in, but we've all been on the internet and we all know how this goes. Why would you think that you could react in that way towards any kind of audience and expect that there wouldn't be like an internet pile on? This is what happens anytime somebody does something like this. Mm -hmm. I will say I get where they're coming from when a four-star review feels like it can hurt because it's so close to five. It's like, what really stopped you from just leaving five stars? And I try to be mindful of that when reviewing and trying to support a local business. Like nine times out of 10, you go into a local business, a mom and pop type place, you enjoyed it, but it wasn't perfect. When you give a five-star review, 
you're writing that knowing that things weren't perfect, but you want them to succeed. So you give them five stars because you don't want them to fail. You don't want to impact mm-hmm. their review, right? That said, I did knock off a star from a review I left on a movie indie theater about two weeks ago because uh, I went to see Spider-Man. We were excited to go to this indie theater because we hadn't been before and it looked like a cool place. And we did have a great time, but half the screen was darker. And that's bad when you want to see, yeah, when you want to see, especially a movie like Spider-Man where the visuals for this animated movie are really, really important. And uh, less important, and I didn't bring this up in the review, uh, Pat's seat didn't recline. So like, it was just a couple of things that, kind of bothered me so i did leave four stars and i wrote in the review you know the projection was bad on half the side and especially if it's like half the screen if it's an indie theater you kind of um you expect high quality too it was more of an arts theater even though it was spider-man it was more of like an artsy type of movie theater so I'm, i try to be constructive if i'm leaving a four-star review i don't want to give them five stars because in my heart of hearts i know i don't want to tell somebody to go here I want them to go, but I want to warn them it's not perfect. And I mean, that's a fair reason to ding a star off that rating. I mean, you were going to watch a movie and the projection of the movie was not, uh, well, I don't know if they're not maintaining their yeah, setup or like a or light what, bulb was going in the projector. Yeah, I don't but know. But it wasn't good. I mean, right. that was your primary purpose for being there. Exactly. If your primary purpose for being there was to use the reclining chairs, you might have left a different kind of review. I must you know? recline while watching the movie. <laughs> Pat didn't want to move. I was like, I would have moved, but okay, fine. Sit there in that upright position the whole time. Man, um, I am Pat. I, I'll find myself <laughs> in situations like that where like you purchase a service and it's supposed to come with something like a reclining chair and then it doesn't come with it and i'll i'll just be like no i'll just i'll stay here it's not a big deal i don't i don't want to create drama it's fine it's fine (laughs) i want to create drama i was throwing trash all over the movie theater floor for him how dare you i wasn't actually doing it (laughs) what types of reviews do you two pay closest attention to do you check reviews for everything movies food etc etc or some things you don't even bother looking at reviews for? To be honest, if I'm... mm, I don't really look at reviews for restaurants unless I'm looking a place up and I see it has a really low rating, then I'll dive in and read them. Um, But as long as a restaurant is like 4.5 stars, I don't really bother looking into it. Um, I will say if I'm trying to purchase something extremely specific, I'm thinking like makeup, for example, I've definitely been purchasing more of my makeup online since the pandemic, um, which means you have to do a lot more online research, you have to look up reviews, that's something I do a lot, I'll look up YouTube reviews of various products to see um, how real people are finding them to function. Um, so I'll do a lot of in-depth research, not just on written reviews for those kinds of things, but if it's just like, I need like, I don't know, I need another like cleaning product for my bathroom (laughs) or something. I don't care. I know I have old reliable. I know what I use. I know what I like. And, you know, I'll just kind of go for that. Old reliable 
what, Mr. Clean? Scrubbing has... <laughs> scrubbing bubbles. Scrubbing <laughs> bubbles. Cute. <laughs> I will read reviews for entertainment stuff, so like movies, TV, music, but I'm not really paying attention to those at all. Because I, I just think that people's tastes are all over the board, right? That's true, so too. Like, yeah. Even unless you find somebody that, you know, you just really vibe with that tends to have similar tastes as you, then I, I just kind of feel like it. How are you supposed to know if Joe Schmo at uh, Rotten Tomatoes is like really going to be indicative of your movie taste for example yeah yeah so i i don't i don't particularly that will not sway whether or not i'll go see a, a movie or if i'll tune in for a show i like laura will probably more extensively look into um any kind of like cosmetic or skincare review because I just want to make sure that nobody that put that product on their face had like some kind of extreme reaction. Yeah, that's and important. And that, that is like more important to me. On the flip side of that, though, you read one of those reviews out of, say, 200, and then you're like, oh, shit, now I'm not sure if I should trust it or not. I've definitely fallen down the rabbit hole in terms of that, in terms of like restaurant reviews or coffee shop reviews. But then what really reels me back and i would encourage everyone to do this is to look up the um like your favorite place on yelp chances are they're gonna have some really bad reviews that you won't agree with and i feel like that kind of helps you balance out everything else yeah and to pam's point you have to remember that everyone's likes likes and dislikes are going to be relative so i think about I'm sure we all have a favorite hole-in-the-wall restaurant that's <laughs> small and cramped, and it's not, you know, it's not fancy, it's very straightforward, but the food is amazing. If you look places like that up, they usually have a few crappy reviews because people went there looking for a certain kind of restaurant experience that you're not going to get at a hole in the wall. You mentioned 4.5 average for restaurants. I'll, I'll go down to like 4.4, but if it's below that and it's like something new or not new to me, I want it to be really high. I mean, there's so many options out there. In a town like this, I'm seeing recommendations on in a Facebook group I'm in all the time. So maybe I just have the privilege of, of getting picky. Um, on the other hand, Fast food places, I don't bother looking at reviews. Like, if I want a freaking burger from Burger King, I don't care if it's got a 2.8 average. I know exactly what I'm getting. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know what you're <laughs> getting there. When you pull up to the window and you see their restaurant score, you know, they post those <laughs> on the window and it's yeah. like 85. And you're like, mm, is see, that, that's does that pass for food service? That's interesting because, like, in California, they do letter grades, A, B, C, D, oh. F. I, I don't think I've ever been to a place that's below an A. And most fast food, <laughs> food places are uh, A's, but it's it's just food safety. I can't imagine going into a B or C. Like, that sounds disgusting. I feel bad for the business, but that's your fault. There was piss and shit all over your kitchen floor. <laughs> I'm sure that's what it was. <laughs> Laura, you go into dirty places. <laughs> don't care. I mean, no, it's just like I've gotten used to, especially fast food restaurants, when you go through the drive through 
and they have their little scorecard posted there like their diploma like, like we food all safety right wall. that's not a review no Are it's you- not a review it's food safety okay and i've definitely seen pace- places that have scores in the mid to high 80s and i always look at it kind of askance like is this i guess this passes i guess they pass <laughs> i mean the place is still open so it can't be that bad <laughs> they haven't condemned the burger king so <laughs> <laughs> well i think you would also have to have like that's probably worse for people that have some kind of knowledge of like what constitutes as getting docked a point or two yeah you know? true yeah. like obviously if workers are not washing their hands that's a big no from me um but you know <laughs> if it's Something silly like they forgot to clean the windows. Oh, yeah. No, no. You know, like, but like, how are we supposed to know? And honestly, are they washing their hands either? I mean, that's that's the big one. And like sidebar, I I did once get food poisoning from a place that had that issue. And hmm. there was an investigation underway. And the only reason I know this is because my hospital called me and I, and like to confirm that I was at the same establishment that other people had been at. Oh, man. Was there yeah. a class action lawsuit? There was not because I never <laughs> saw any money. But they definitely <laughs> called to like confirm that I had eaten at that place. Yeah. Oh, wow. Interesting. As a guy who uses men's public restrooms pretty regularly, I can confirm most guys do not wash their hands after using the bathroom. And it's gross. Or if they are washing their hands, it's five seconds under the water. Is it because they think they like don't need to if they just pee? Just whip them a cock out. What could be wrong with that? Yeah, probably. Yeah, but if you're like touching your penis, I yeah. would prefer for you to wash <laughs> I your know. hands. And potentially touching the, the flush handle and the doors in there. Oh, that's true too. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. There's a lot of just gross like, stuff. If you touch your, yourself, then please wash your hands. Haven't yeah. we all accepted the fact that we're supposed to be humming happy birthday to ourselves while we wash our hands? Isn't that... Something yeah. we all learned you, three years you ago. Would think. <laughs> Guys don't get past the first two syllables in oh, no. the happy birthday phrase. Happy. Okay, I'm done. Wow. <laughs> You've really exposed a lot. Uh, be warned. I've been meaning to bring this up on the show. I just haven't had an opportunity. This is my chance, everybody. Men are gross and do not wash their hands. I'm not that I'm not surprised by, but I also like, I mean, not the washing hands, but just, just like the men are gross bit. <laughs> <laughs> Except for me, I'm I'm clean. I wash my hands, of course. Uh huh. Maybe I could do a better job, but just thinking about why Laura and I bought you combs yep, for your just birthday. Combs. <laughs> oh boy, I have them sitting over here. I meant to bring them up. I've been meaning to bring them up. That's another variety show throwback. Thank you two so much for the birthday gift of of combs. I really appreciate it. Nice clean uh-huh. combs. Helping you be a little less gross, one comb at a time. <laughs> For people who haven't listened, I used a comb to push a certain something down a toilet many years ago, and I may have still have been using the comb until Laura and Pam bought yeah. me this nice gift set. We were like, absolutely not. Mm-mm. I will not visit you in Vegas as long as that comb is still in your ass. <laughs> so it's shocking this author did this, and the publisher was probably right, because I think also that the author could have been seen as like intimidating readers 
don't you dare post yeah. a bad review or I'm going to call you out and right. call you a bitch. Like, it was too much. It'll be interesting to see if another publisher picks her up or maybe she'll just take the self-publishing route. I don't know. Well, hopefully she learns from it. All right. We have more show today, but first we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. We want to continue talking about fire, but it's a different kind of fire than the one we just talked about uh, with an author being review bombed. This is literal fire um, for anyone who's on the East Coast of the U.S. Um, You may just now be coming out from under a literal cloud after smoke from the wildfires in Quebec blanketed most of us over the last several days. This is, I think, a first for a lot of East Coasters. Um, It was making headlines. You saw all of these pictures of the New York City skyline. It looked like it was the surface of Mars. There was straight up a sepia filter over many of our major (laughs) northeastern cities. And it got a lot of fanfare. And also a lot of people on the East Coast don't know how to deal with wildfires because it's not something that happens to us as often as it happens to our counterparts on the West Coast. Pam, I wanted to ask you as a native Californian and someone who frequently reports on Californian wildfires on this show, what was it like for you watching so many East Coasters experience a wildfire? or the 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 resulting smoke for the first time. Yeah, it was a little bit surreal. Um, On one hand, my heart goes out to them because I know exactly how awful it is to have to live through those conditions. But I'm not going to lie, it was kind of funny to see so many people online talking about how, like, you've never seen anything like this before because... The unfortunate reality is that for most Californians, it's just part of our um, yearly lives at this point. Now that we're, you know, um, used to having a full-blown wildfire season as a result of a multitude of of things, including climate change. So uh, I don't I don't think that. Yeah, like I, I think that like anybody on the on the West Coast would agree, and, I, and not just California, also Oregon and Washington get hit with wildfire season as well. I I know that so many people on the West Coast know all too well what it's like to to um, have to exist in those extreme conditions. It was interesting to see how much coverage New York, in particular, was getting. Some argue, well, it's one of the biggest cities in the world. This is a rare event for New York. Of course, it's going to get coverage like this. On the other hand, people wonder why doesn't California or the Pacific Northwest get more coverage? I guess also the other thing is it's happening a lot more out in California and the West. So it's just not big news anymore. It's sort of like how mass shootings barely register. So it was interesting from that angle. uh, Social media had lots of jokes. That was pretty entertaining as well. Even being here in Vegas, when California gets wildfires, if the wind's blowing in the right direction, just like Quebec's fire came down to New York and New England, uh, we're, we're getting hit with it too. The first summer we came out here, we moved out here, 
there was a few really bad instances and the sky never looks clearer after that smoke blows out. But during it, it's like, oh, this is yeah. rough. And and like Laura was saying, you know, the, the sun is red. It's just grim. Of course, it's difficult to breathe. It's dark. You know what's the eeriest for me? And I don't know if this registers or if this did register at all for East Coasters is when you live in a place that's close to wherever wildfires are occurring and you get this back kick of apocalyptic smoke and life on Mars or whatever you want to call it. it it's like eerily quiet in the sense that you stop hearing birds in your neighborhood Aww. if you have birds. And the first time I ever lived through a wildfire season where I was living in a neighborhood that was, you know, on the verge of being evacuated. It was months before the wildfire um, smoke kind of dissipated. And the first sign of some semblance of normalcy was hearing birds (laughs) come back, just like wild birds. Yeah. And whether that was like a crow or just like some random like chirping. Because all birds just, like, fly away Mm -hmm. to escape the smoke. Yeah. I have to think further north up on the East Coast that that probably had to be the case. Um, We definitely got hit with it here in Georgia. And we had some unsafe um, air quality issues here for mm, three, three or four days. Um, we were definitely, uh, in the orange category, uh, that they show you over at airnow.gov, which is a new tool that I just became aware of in the last few days. Um, but I know that the further up the East coast you went, they were getting into like purple territory, which is the most dangerous air condition that there is. And what's astonishing to me about it is sort of, people's reactions to this. And I think that it has to do with the fact that this isn't normal for the East Coast. So you definitely saw many visuals of people in New York City walking around, no masks, even visuals of people out exercising in this orange haze. And I think it's really easy to sit there as an outsider And look at that and be like, they're crazy. What are they doing? But the reality is most people on the East Coast don't know. I don't think. We just, we weren't raised and we don't go through this yearly cycle where this is normal and people don't know that there can actually be really adverse effects on your health. And nothing stops New Yorkers from doing anything. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing. (laughs) I, I do have compassion for that aspect for sure. And and because you're right, like, if you're not used to it, you just don't know. But I also just like can't wrap my brain around going out in that climate. And then continuing to do that, because for me, it only took one time and coming back in with a scratchy throat that lingered, you know, for hours or throat that lingered for hours to kind of start thinking about masking up the next time I went out if I needed to. So it is astounding to me that people just kept like um, 
complicitly suffering through that for whatever reason. It is also interesting having just gotten out of the pandemic. You know, you might think more people would have been a little quicker on the uptake in terms of masking up. Most people probably still have masks lying around. That's the other thing. I like, do. Yeah. See, like even if you have to double mask with like a cloth mask or double mask with like a surgical mask, if you don't have an N95, masks have probably never been more readily available. So that that was actually impressive, honestly. <laughs> yeah, I still have my giant bag of N95s from the pandemic up in one of my kitchen cabinets. And um, I have asthma, so I was very aware of the air quality issue. And for those three or four days where we were at an unhealthy index, I was masking any time I went outside. But I have to be honest with you, I was the only one of my neighbors doing it. And it was just, it was a little astonishing. I felt like I was in the twilight zone and like very disconnected from reality because I had some of my neighbors who had their windows thrown open because the weather was nice. So they're just letting this air in. I had neighbors like sitting out in the parking lot in their running car. So I was like, oh man, you're giving yourself a double whammy right now. <laughs> like windows <laughs> rolled down, car rolling, running. Um, it was it was very bizarre. But the you were so much further away compared to New York that I think most focus was on New York and those visuals. It's like, well, it doesn't look like that here. So why should I care? I think that's what it was because it looked mostly normal here. We had a little haze, like the tiniest bit of haze, which I mean, in Atlanta, we have so much smog anyway, that I think people didn't see anything different than what they were used to. Um, But I was like, my asthmatic ass is wearing a mask outside. And even though I did that, I still had a sore throat just from existing in this for a few days. But all of that is because of something that I didn't know about uh, called fine particulate matter. Um, You might see it referred to on airnow.gov or your weather app as PM 2.5. Um, This is the matter that makes wildfire smoke so dangerous. And I know for my West Coasters here, this is not new information, but I think for East Coasters it is. These particles are so small that they can get deep into your lungs and even your bloodstream, which is why this is so dangerous. It's not sort of like some of the larger environmental allergens that can give you a sore throat, or maybe make you feel kind of congested, these can go a lot deeper than that. So I think I may have answered my own question here, but just want to check, was I being paranoid (laughs) to wear a mask every time I went outside? I'm talking like I took Canela out to pee two minutes in and out. I was masking. (laughs) Was I being paranoid? I, I don't think so because you're asthmatic. Yeah, yeah. You you're you're at risk. <laughs> I um when the wildfires have blown over here, the smoke from them has blown over here. I have not even thought to wear a mask and I probably should have. Um maybe after these stories and this discussion today, maybe I will start considering doing that. But yeah, it's just something I hadn't considered before. I am aware of the air quality at all times here. You mentioned this air now 
website and an app. I have right on my Apple Watch, and I put a screenshot in for you to um, in the bottom right corner. I can constantly see the current air quality index in my area. And a part of this, I did add this when the wildfires started in, in 2020. Um, but then I kept it, even though there haven't been as many wildfires, uh, at least the smoke blowing this way, um, in subsequent years, because I just like that the meter is like a rainbow. So just add some <laughs> color to my watch face. See, it starts green and then goes yellow and red and purple and then deep red, which means you're going to die. Um, so yeah, it's just kind of nice. It is nice to know, though. It's not just about the rainbow. It is It is nice to, to know what the current conditions are. Yeah, that's cool. I'm going to have to add that to my watch. I currently don't use that particular watch face, but now I feel so much more aware of monitoring air quality before this happened last week it's not something that i ever really thought about that much yeah, yeah. me neither prior to moving say, out here. you're never gonna be you're never gonna be more aware of it than you are now that you've experienced poor air quality yeah man it sucks i hope that this isn't something that we'll need to get used to um, but I know, you know, certain environmental conditions allowed for this wildfire in Quebec to start, you know, namely the lack of snow in the last year combined with a dry spring in the area. Um, kind of, it was the perfect storm, if you will, for letting this wildfire happen. It's so funny how the tables get turned like this some years like meanwhile out west it was an amazing winter shattering yeah. records like the snow still melting i still got snow on mountains that i can see outside of my house it's just amazing that's um, wild it hasn't even been hot this year yet we haven't hit 100 degrees it's just like so different and then meanwhile on the east coast you know it's been drier not just up in canada but in other areas so it's fascinating how all this shifts and plays out it is i will say that just like as somebody that lives in northern california we're kind of just used to what is commonly referred to as indian summers so we don't really see our true heat until september october up in the bay area and in the north bay so i i hate to say this but as far as i understand it's going to be a warmer summer which i had anticipating and we're kind of bracing for a potential dry weather that could possibly lead to wildfires but believe pam believe in another amazing summer and winter 23 into 24 baby wet and wild too <laughs> on the amazing winter is an interesting way to describe it we're not used to cold weather it was still going up on the mountain near my hometown that's where it's not normal that happens like every once every 15 years or so we just need Snow to figure sticks. out <laughs> we just need to figure out how to leverage some of these more extreme weather events to cancel each other out. Like for example, all of that's happening in Northern California, Pam. This year's hurricane season is expected to be fucking torrential. So like we've got one side of the yeah. country that's bone dry and another side of the country that's, you know, preparing to be uh demolished in water. How do we get some of that? How do we get the H2O over to the West Coast? Big, yeah, beautiful pipes. We got to start funneling it different pipes. areas. <laughs> I didn't do the Trump accent, but I was thinking it's of the him. most beautiful pipes. Is that going to be the Donald's <laughs> campaign promise? Trump pipes, gold, 
beautiful pipes with classified documents flowing through them. Well, I mean, he did have them in the bathroom, so I guess right. that's possible. Yeah, yeah, good point. Right, that is where pipes would traditionally be. Oh, so. you know he flushed some docks down the toilet. He definitely did that just for funsies. But somebody, I- somebody get an AI image generator to do Donald Trump frantically flushing classified <laughs> documents when the FBI raided Mar-a-Lago. Uh, but in all seriousness, we spoke about the droughts out here many months ago i think it was late last year and um because i had read this book and it was fascinating about the water situation out here and the war the turf war so to speak um but i think we did touch on this idea of pipes and i think just moving where there's too much what moving the water where there's too much to places where there's not enough and i think it just basically came down to having a creating pipes go through multiple states and of course avoiding sacred lands and all that it would be such a nightmare that it just yeah like it probably could happen if we tried really really hard it's easier said than done right exactly it would take forever i mean california can barely get a high-speed train built so building something nation like a cross-country network sounds highly unlikely yeah maybe they can just use amtrak I mean, <laughs> Biden's too expensive to ride. Yeah. So, you know, but Biden's in good something. with them, right? I mean, that used to be his yeah. his campaign story was how much he rode Amtrak. Maybe we just load an Amtrak train up with hundreds of thousands of gallons of this rainwater and send Instead it. It'll of, take like two weeks to get out there, but, you know, better, better than, late never. than never. <laughs> yeah, right. Instead of having sleeper cars, we can have water cars and they're just loaded on the Oh, man. These are the chaotic imaginings that we come up with when we're kind of at a loss for what to do. Yeah. Yeah. Let's run for office, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, we'll go investigate that pipe idea and maybe find our old masks for the next wildfire event. (laughs) And we'll be right back. I wanted to give a little update on Netflix and their password sharing crackdown. Obviously, this is something that we were dreading, and they actually ended up implementing this while we were on a break around Memorial Day weekend. So specifically, Netflix started rolling out its plan to crack down on password sharing on May 23rd. And... The internet reacted as we all thought they would, because even originally when this news story broke, there were a lot of people that were, they were out crying about how awful this was that, you know, they could potentially get booted off of family, shared uh, plans, or even like friend groups that had banded together to make the cost of subscribing to Netflix uh, cheaper. There were a lot of different people that were said to be affected by this. But despite negative backlash, uh, unfortunately, early data is now showing that Netflix is basically getting exactly what they want because the amount of new subscriptions that they have accrued 
as a result of this is a lot higher than I think anybody thought it would be. Uh oh. Specifically, Netflix had the fourth single largest day of US user signups since January 2019, according to Variety, as a result of their crackdown on password sharing. And all of this information comes from Antenna, which is the research company that compiled the data. So to get a little bit more specific here, Netflix saw an average of 73,000 signups from May 25th through May 28th, which is right around when this crackdown started taking place, or a 102% increase from the prior 60-day average of user signups. So it's very clear that people did not put their money where their mouth is as a result of all of this. Um, one thing that is important to note is that the streamer did see an uptick in cancellations, but unfortunately, it did not surpass in any way the number of user signups, which probably means that this is here to stay and they won't be reversing this. So with all of that in mind, I wanted to ask the both of you, are we surprised by this news? Because I think personally, part of me did think that maybe they would walk this back just based on the outcry alone. I just thought that the data wouldn't look this good for them. I wasn't expecting Mm -hmm. them to walk it back. This hasn't hit me yet. I share with three other households, my parents, my sister, and my brother, and then me. So there's four total. So it's obviously going to hit us at some point. I haven't loaded up Netflix recently. I, I haven't heard from my family. So I guess they haven't seen it yet either. But I'm just thinking at this point, like, do I really watch enough on Netflix to even continue using it? I know there's some good stuff on Netflix for sure. And of course, everybody loses their minds over Stranger Things. And I've enjoyed Queer Eye, but like Queer Eye is the same thing. Same thing every damn episode. After seven seasons, I'm like, I don't need Queer Eye in my life anymore. I get it. It's a good show, but I don't need to deal with this new password sharing limitation and be bankrolling three other Netflix accounts. You know, when you factor in that we have Disney Plus and we've got these others, it's like, do I also really need Netflix? And I'm starting to think for maybe the first time in my life that the answer is no. Maybe I will do without it. I'll sign up for Netflix when Stranger Things comes back. I'm actually surprised at myself, too, that I'm now thinking I can let go of Netflix. But that's the place we're at in this streaming world. You don't need Netflix. There's other options with very good content. Yeah. I also feel very lukewarm on Netflix. We haven't been hit by this yet either. And we have a couple of friends sharing our account with us. Um, But I think we'll obviously have to um, go our separate ways when... (laughs) the when the charges do come. But I honestly have some questions about this data. I might need to look into it a little more, but I don't know if this is as positive as maybe Netflix is spinning it to be. First and foremost, because I think the pool of potential subscribers who started as we can call them account leeches, you know, <laughs> who were just on a friend or family's uh, Netflix account, that pool's limited, right? So the the pool of people that they were trying to bully into signing bully. up for their own account is a limited pool that will dry out eventually. 
So the initial numbers may look good, but I wonder what that looks like long-term for Netflix. And the other thing that I'd point out is they're reporting on these signups going into a holiday weekend. So of course that was higher than the prior 60-day average. I feel like they're kind of spinning On the other how, hand, if how it's a holiday, good this data sounds. I mean, some people go out for the holidays. It's not, it's not, I've got nothing to do but watch Netflix. I will say that uh, that thought, Laura, did cross my mind, but I was looking to see what they had released to see if they had released anything that was like major that might have put um, forth a spike in new subscribers or maybe like returning subscribers that only subscribe when there are things worthy of doing that. And I didn't really see anything that jumped out. Um, I will say that one of the things that Antenna did measure this against is, is the amount of new subscribers that Netflix saw as a result of the pandemic and lockdown kicking in. And this was higher than that too. So interesting. Yeah. It's like it, it, but I, I totally get like being suspicious and to your point, I think that what Netflix is really looking for here in terms of keeping investors happy and shareholders happy is an increase of new subscribers, right? But at some point, that's going to peter out like it always has. Yeah. And yeah. that's why they've been looking into breaking into new markets. And that's also what they've used to justify cancellations of shows as well, way before they should be, you know, canceled. So I, I don't think to your point that this is anything to tout as a success in terms of like a long term plan to keep the dollars rolling in the way they're hoping they will. And so. then, and then, what happens once they're done bullying all the leechers, like you two right. are saying, they're going to run out of people eventually. How are they going to make money next? Probably continue to jack the price up. They're going to be hitting walls mm-hmm. eventually. And again, this gets back into the whole like all these streaming apps are they keep raising their prices, and it's honestly depressing. It's like they got us by the neck, and we have no choice but to just be charged more and more. As time goes on, and it's yeah. a, it's really frustrating. That's why we have to start canceling. I mean, I, I don't. I was looking at this thread in the millennial Facebook group, and a lot of people said they were going to cancel in part because they're pissed. I hate downgraded my Netflix account. I didn't cancel my Netflix, <laughs> but I was so mad they were rolling at this out in the U.S. I stopped paying for the 4K version of Netflix because. Again, I don't watch it that much. And do I even notice the 4K compared to 1080p? I don't think so. I like to think I do, but I don't think I do. And I sit pretty far away from the television, so that helps as well. Yeah. And if I start to notice, I'll just sit further away from the TV or I'll get a smaller <laughs> TV. But that's right there saving me five bucks a month. It would be one thing if Netflix was just really good. Like who, if y'all had to say, who do you think is the king of the streamers right now? Which which platform do y'all think if is If you're just best? going off library alone, it's going to be a, either Disney Plus or Max, I yeah. think. Because Max also yeah. has a great library of old films and television shows. Yeah. But then I do look at Netflix and it's like, they got Breaking Bad, which I love to death. They've got... Other iconic shows like Shameless, Heartstopper. I loved 
BoJack Horseman. That was a Netflix original. Like they do have good stuff. It's just like then there's that 70% that's just utter crap. I think that's the thing. Yeah. I I with Netflix too, I also think about how long they're gonna be able to um retain the streaming rights for anything they don't own. So that that you know, like that would be setting aside. I think you said BoJack Horseman is a Netflix original. Obviously, they own the rights to that. But something like Breaking Bad, I don't know who owns the rights to. Yeah, Breaking not Netflix, Bad, but not Netflix, right? So at some point, and like, and we've seen that happen with Friends that went over to what is now being referred to as Max. Um, that just also happened with New Girl, which found a new home at Peacock because parent company is NBC. So. We've seen Disney Plus and Max start to cut content, too, to save money, because to your point, those licensing fees are very, very expensive. So that's a good Mm -hmm. thing to keep an eye out for, too. Like how how long until there's just only original content on these respective platforms and how much of it is actually good? Because, yeah, like I use Netflix to watch Seinfeld, too. I, I love Seinfeld. So it's mm-hmm. fun to watch old episodes that way. Yeah. It's for all the other very thing is, too, is like sometimes the original content isn't solely produced by Netflix alone. So a really good example of this is um, One Day at a Time, which was a joint production between Netflix and Sony. And they were able to find new life over at Pop for a short lived amount of time after Netflix pulled the plug. But the point in me bringing this up is that it wasn't just the licensing fees of Netflix to contend to. It was also like the outside third party studio that helped produce the show. So I I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, but I I don't I don't know if it like necessarily looks good for people that were assuming that like all of their favorite things were going to be housed forever on one or two or three streaming sites. Right. Yeah. I'm scared about what platform is going to do this next, because if the numbers do continue to look pretty good, then these other ones are going to do the same. And it's whether or not Netflix had success, the others are probably going to try this at some point anyway, because eventually they're going to run out of people and they got to try to find new customers. Who do you think is going to do it first? I'd say my, My vote's for Max. On HBO Max. Me yeah. too. Really? <laughs> I think Max. Yeah, yeah. I think Max too. Because Max is already like, they were already removing originals as a result of not wanting to pay residuals and royalties. Yeah. And they made us download a whole new app for their redesign. Yeah. And that's why I think <laughs> they won't, because they've already just pissed people off with this transition. This is why they won't be the, the next. I would say it's going to be Disney Plus because they've been around for four years this fall. They've already hiked the price once. Max is still too new. And even HBO Mm -hmm. Max is still new-ish. It's younger than Disney Plus. We will see and we will be sad about it. I think the only solution is to become rich and then we don't have to worry about (laughs) paying for all these subscriptions. I don't see any other solution personally. Yeah, that's why this podcast needs to make it big so that we can afford all the subscriptions. And that's why we appreciate your support (laughs) on our Patreon. (laughs) Hey, coming up in After Dark today, available at patreon.com slash millennial and for Apple Podcast subscribers, we've got a good muggle suck. So this is our occasional segment where we dig into the archives of both our email accounts, our AIM logs, our brains and pull out some good stories from the glory days of 
living and breathing the Harry Potter fandom and working for MuggleNet and getting started with MuggleCast. A lot of people are interested in these stories because they grew up with us, and now we're giving everybody the inside scoop. I went into my AOL Instant Messenger chat logs the other day and started looking at my conversations with the founder of MuggleNet, and I found some really good ones. I'm going to roll them out over the course of the summer, but today I'm going to share my conversation with the founder in which I originally pitched him MuggleCast. And I have to say, I was actually, you know, reading this back, I think he was a good boss when it came to that. And Laura just shuddered. No, my perspective (laughs) has changed. Maybe we should talk about that because I had a different uh, viewpoint when I was reading it over. But Oh, okay. No, in in hindsight, I appreciate what he had to say. But okay, this will be good. And then, Laura, you've got something for us too, right? (laughs) The flip side of what I just said. Right. I have um, a situation with uh, the the same party, we'll say, uh, where... Uh, he was backpedaling on a promise that he had made, and I have it in writing. Um, and then as an additional um, little piece of tea, have uh, a, a listener email that we got way back in like 2006 from somebody who claimed that they heard a bong rip in one of our <laughs> audio. <laughs> um, and so it's, it's a thread where we're all trying to figure out who the perpetrator was. Oh, that's amazing. When I read this note in the doc <laughs> earlier today, I thought you were trying to tell us that we like just got this email here in 2023 and somebody heard oh, no. it on a recent episode. <laughs> this is an OG. All right. So that'll be available at patreon.com slash millennial through Mega Millennial, which is available through Apple Podcasts. Don't forget, we got that seven day trial now at patreon.com slash millennial. And there's many more benefits for you to check out. We won't get into them today since we've been talking about Muggle Suck for the past couple of minutes, but we offer a lot and we're really proud of it. And your support really does help us out. We're not a big corporation. It's just us three plus Chloe trying to put on the best show we can. So your support goes a long way and it allows us to spend more time on the show. So thank you. Time for some recommendations. Laura, do you want to kick things off? Sure. Um, I want to recommend a book that I'm reading right now, Happy Go Lucky by David Sidiris. Um, For anyone who isn't familiar with him, he is a humorist and he uh, writes memoir specifically. So he's just someone who has a really interesting take on life and reading about his, uh, his memories from various stages of his life is always a treat. So highly recommend it. It's his new book. So you can find it on Amazon or wherever you buy books. I also have a book recommendation this week. I wanted to recommend Burn It Down, Power, Complicity, and a Call for Change in Hollywood by Maureen Ryan. This has been getting a lot of buzz in in terms of like the entertainment journalist spectrum of Twitter. So if it sounds familiar, that's probably why if you're in any way, you know, uh, privy to that side of the internet. But this book is super good. Maureen has been reporting on entertainment news, specifically um, television news for a really, really long time. I'm a huge fan of her work. And this book is absolutely spectacular. It really kind of um, peels the curtain back on a lot of 
industry issues that happen behind the scenes, including harassment and also discrimination. And in addition to that, it features a slew of interviews with a lot of really big names in Hollywood, not just producers and writers, but also actors as well. And um, she does this really kind of intelligently through the lens of her time spent reporting off of, you know, sets such as uh, Friday Night Lights and Sleepy Hollow, Kirby Enthusiasm, the Goldbergs. She's, she's kind of like been in this industry for a really long time. So she's an expert in that. And this is a really good book. If you're looking for some like good Hollywood tea, I would recommend picking this up because it's really well written and it's absolutely fascinating in a really horrific kind of way. I follow her on Twitter and I was aware of this book. So I ordered it because I was very excited uh, seeing all her tweets about it. So I will check that out over the course of the summer. I want to recommend this TV show, Jury Duty. This is one of those shows I heard so much about online. I was like, I have to check this out. Too many people are ra- uh, raving about it. It crossed that threshold for me. So I'm just going to read the synopsis. The series chronicles the inner workings of a jury trial in the U.S. through the eyes of a juror, Ronald Gladden, a solar contractor from San Diego, who is unaware that his jury duty summons was not actually official and that everyone in the courtroom, aside from him, is an actor. So basically, it's a very long prank they're playing on him. James Marsden is actually playing himself as one of the people who's been summoned for jury duty. It is so funny, this show. It's like The Office, but one of the people on the jury does not realize they're actually being pranked this whole time. And these other jurors just get up to the wildest shit in front of him. I so highly recommend this show for a laugh. I I was laughing out loud every episode. And um, it's available through Amazon Prime and their free V channel. So it should be free for anybody to watch with ads highly highly recommend this show this is on my list for sure you're not the only one i know who's recommended it it gets absurd at points like you just they really go there with this show they do not hold back i was very impressed it'll be interesting to see too if they try to pull off a a second season because the final episode they show you how they pulled it all off you know, because they got to make sure he doesn't realize what's actually going on. And it was they put a ton of work into this. And it's like, can they pull this off again, especially now that they, you know, the show's out there? Maybe they quietly filmed the second season before season one was released. Maybe I would certainly hope mm-hmm. so, because I would love a second season of this. Check all three of those recommendations out. Also, make sure you're following the show for free in your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. And do leave us a review. I read the reviews. Lauren Pant might try to avoid them, but I read them. And you know who reads them? Prospective listeners. And it really helps give people a sense of the show. You can write to us by emailing millennialshow at gmail.com, or you can use the contact form or anonymous confessional on millennialshow.com. And follow us on social media. We're Millennial Show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And then over on TikTok, we're Millennial Pod. After Dark... Muggle Suck Edition will begin in a moment for patrons and Apple Podcast subscribers. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Laura. And I'm Pamela. Bye. Bye, Bye, everybody. Give us a good rating on Uber. (laughs) 